Welcome to the Faith to You podcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Schrader. We're continuing our series on biblical manhood and womanhood. This is part four of the series. In the first two, I explained what's on the line. In the third one, I defined our terms. Today, we're going to talk about glory and the glory of God's creation of gender. And so what we're going to really be doing is we're going to be tracing the theme of biblical manhood and womanhood through the Bible. So we're going to start in Genesis, we'll work our way through the Old Testament, then we'll work our way through the New Testament. So beginning in Genesis, we see an equality of glory. Man is created in the image of God. And God's good design for gender preceded the fall. It didn't come about as a result of the fall. And the new covenant that we live within as those who are members of the new covenant community seeks to renew God's good design for male and female relations. So God's original design, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. So important to pay attention to plurals in Genesis 1, 26-27. Do, do you notice the first plural? God said, let us make man in our image. That's an important plural because it shows the three persons in the Godhead. God refers to himself as our. Well, the second place that we see a plural is they will rule the fish of the sea. Let us make man, singular in our image, they will rule the fish of the sea. This is called the dominion mandate, ruling over the fish, the birds, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. The dominion mandate is given to humanity, male and female. We see the plural there. And it's not just God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. So Genesis 1, we're talking about male and female and the creation of man. So man is used to talk about mankind right there. So that doesn't mean that man is the image of God and woman isn't. Why is that important? Well, because then it's fine for um, us to mar a woman because she's not created in the image of God. It's, it's fine for us to not honor the imago Dei in women. That's not okay. It is absolutely murder when a baby girl is killed. Do, do you understand that? Do you understand what's on the line? Why it's so important that we define this equality? Because there, there are societies, there are religions that don't define equality there, that are chauvinistic. And what do they do? They mistreat and they abuse women. Complementarianism does not teach that. It teaches equal in dignity, value, and worth, created both in the image of God, both as image bearers. So important to understand that. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Now, there is a distinction of role, and we see this in chapter 2. Chapter 2, still pre-fall, different roles. It says this, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. So what we see is God specifically puts Adam in the garden, takes him from somewhere else, and puts him into the garden. He puts him into the garden to work it and 
watch over it. Did you hear that? Working preceded the fall. Watching preceded the fall. Responsibility. Adam is responsible for watching over the garden. That's pre-fall. Now, woman is created in the garden. He creates woman in the garden. He puts Adam to sleep. He takes his rib out. He creates woman in the garden, suggesting a special relationship to the inner life of the garden. Man is taken from outside and placed into the garden. Woman is created in the garden. Look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So we see specifically, it says, the Lord God commanded the man. We don't see the the plural nouns used here like we did in chapter 1. This is a conversation between God and Adam. God gave the command to Adam. So part of male-female relationships is receiving and repeating the word of God. So man is specifically entrusted to be the one who receives that word from God and shares it, explains it presents it, and then he's responsible before God to keep it. He's responsible for before God to keep it. Genesis 3.3, 3, we see that the woman is speaking to the serpent, and, and she says, Genesis 3.3, 3, about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. And, and so you see that, that the woman does not repeating word for word what God said to Adam. So there's a breakdown there either... Adam doesn't repeat it to her clearly, or she doesn't understand it clearly. God has given men the responsibility for guarding God's moral boundaries. God gave that to Adam in the garden. Created order is important because it establishes man as protector of woman. Woman is created from man's side for his support. Man is supposed to be protecting her. So what we see is in the failure, in the temptation, there's there's the failure of eating the fruit. That's the ultimate failure. That's where sin enters into the world. But we see Satan upending God's good design. He's talking to the woman first. We see that Adam is there, and Adam doesn't step in. Adam doesn't say, no, that's not what God said. He doesn't relay the word. So we see the system breaking down here in the moment of temptation. Remember, temptation is a process. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. So we see this enticement happening for the man and for the woman. So why is it that God creates woman? Genesis 2.18 explains it. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper corresponding to him. You know, there's a lot of people who look at Scripture and they don't like that word helper. The word helper right there is the Hebrew word ezer. Ezer. It's it's a functional term. It's not a demeaning one. We think of the word helper in a demeaning way in our society today. It's actually used repeatedly of God for Israel. God is a ezer. He's the helper of Israel. Is that demeaning to God? Absolutely not. Scripture doesn't demean God when it says that he helps his own. So helping is not a demeaning role if it's applied to God. We see in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is called the helper. That doesn't mean that he's somehow demeaned. Jesus says, I'm going to send him. He's going to help you. Now, part of the help of the woman 
is for filling the earth. God gives man a dominion mandate. He gives man and women a dominion mandate. Well, man can't fill the earth by himself. He needs a woman. Genesis 2.23, the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. So something that we have happening here is that Adam is instantly, and right before the fall, in creation, demonstrating his authority over his wife. And he does that by naming her. He names her there in the garden. She's been taken from me. This is what she's going to be called. He's instantly demonstrating authority. And he's just simply operating as God created him to operate. God designed him to do that. God designed him to see woman and respond that way. Remember, this is pre-fall. Sin has not entered into the world. Sin has not broken that down yet. The man is formed from the ground. Now think about this. Man is formed from the ground. And what's his responsibility? To cultivate the ground, to work the garden. He tends and cultivates that which he came from. What, what's woman created from? From the man. What's she to tend and cultivate? The one that she came from. She's given a man as a helper. She has a responsibility towards her husband, just like man has a responsibility towards the ground. This suggests the special work they'll do in God's created world. Uh, Kevin DeYoung says it this way, the man in the establishment of the external world of industry and the woman in the nurture of the inner world of the family. Kevin DeYoung says that in his book, Men and Women and in the Church. This is, this is one of the books I'm using for this study. Uh, I recommend it. It's a quick read. It does a good job of explaining these topics. So Adam did not complain about being alone, but God said it was not good. That's not how God designed it to be. God gave Eve to Adam to nurture and support him. And we see that in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Now, this is really important because what can happen sometimes is when we look at Genesis 2.18, I spent a lot of time ministering to college-age students. And when you minister to college-age students, there can be an angst over singleness. There can be an uncomfortableness over being single. And so I'd often go to Genesis 2.18, and I would, I would ask them the question, how do we distinguish between our God-given desire for human companionship and the idolatry of relationships. Because what happens is a lot of, especially young men, but young women too, will go to this passage and they'll say, see, it's not good for me to be alone. I need to have a wife, or I'm not complete, or I'm deficient, or I can't serve God, or I can't function, or I can't operate. And what they're doing in that moment is they're creating an idol. And one of the worst places to be when you go into marriage is having an idolatrous heart. So it's so important to guard yourself against idolatry. And so a sinful response to relationship, if I don't have this, I can't function, is going to break down the relationship before it even begins. So it's important to define a need. God has given you a desire for a wife, but God supplies everything necessary for what? For life and godliness. He's all you need. And until you're satisfied completely in him, you're really not going to be ready for a marriage relationship. 
Second Peter 1.3, God's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. We're going to continue our series as we go through Genesis chapter 3 next time when we talk about God's good design for marriage and how it was marred at the fall. Thank you for listening.